Sure. Shall we do the sarcasm at the start or no? No, it's the moment's past. I've got a whole new other set of sarcasm now. Awesome. Thank you for joining us on our second episode on the White Album, a two-parter. Joining us this week, just like last week, is Dave Azzolini of the amazing Toronto band The Golden Dogs, whose new album, their self-titled album, The Golden Dogs, was just released. Uh, Last week, if you remember, he chatted about some of the uh, influences that this record had on his latest record. And today we're going to look at maybe some of the more controversial songs on the record. And so, and then, of course, um, uh, Dave and myself, the hosts of this show, will chat a little bit more about what we think of the record. And uh, this might be the part of the episode where you maybe don't like me as much as you do right now.
jarring at times to you? Like, oh. I, there's one spot on the record I don't like, uh, and it's a I love Julia. Julia to me is mesmerizing, and I want actually, and I, and I'll talk to that in a minute. Uh, but with Julia, it goes from Julia to birthday. And that that mix to me, I'm like, who lined up those two songs? Like, I just, I feel there's, it's it's at times, maybe for me, a little too jarring. Right. I, and also, that speaks to the fact that it's it's a whole other record. Birthday is kind of a whole other record, because that starts mm -hmm. with side three, right? So I That's mean, right, that's right, yeah. You have to look at it like that, where it's like, you've done the record. Good point, good point. You take an intermission, then you come back to the album, and then you have a happy song. Then you have the "I'm uh, I'm So Lonely, I Want to Die" song, which is manic. <laughs> calms you down. Then you have everybody except for me, my monkey, which 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 is completely fired up. Then sexy Sadie, which is, comes down again. Then Helter Skelter, which goes up again. And then long, 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 the most mellow song on any Beatles song album. Uh, <laughs> it's so schizophrenic, right? And playing it live, it was it was. I actually almost started to cry with, during Julia playing it live just because it was just like I knew it was coming on the third side and it was just like it was very emotional like it to go from um, I mean uh, to, to, to perform this this album live was was a trip like it is an emotional journey to, to have to, to to go through all those emotions in these songs so quickly you know it is jarring. so I was actually gonna ask I was actually gonna ask you that as because you performed um with the classic classic albums live doing this right uh and you're doing the john lennon parts correct i had to learn all the john lennon stuff yeah how does how did that feel to you like you're saying like this is an album you know you know the context of the album you know that julie is about you know his mother you know that your blues is talking about suicide how does how do you connect with that as the singer at to be perfectly honest, is a Saturday night out to see a show at Massey Hall with a bunch of people. Let's have a good time night. Let's go see the White Album be performed. Like, so the audience isn't necessarily an audience who's going to know all the narratives of these stories either. How do you connect with that as the person singing these songs? Oh, man. Like I said, okay, so it was one of the first ones with them. It was supposed to be my first gig with them. Uh, and it ended up. Uh, I ended up doing a Sgt. Pepper tour before that, by just because things got canceled, moved around, and anyway, so White Album ended up after, and so, it, but in some ways, it was really like the first really big show besides one, I guess. Uh, but, but yeah, but doing the entire double album with one rehearsal with the band, you know, just show you have to show up and know your parts. So there, that alone was really fun, but also a little stressful. But also fun, <laughs> and uh, and the fact that I'm covering my my favorite like these these are my heroes. This is this would be, this would constitute constitute the the, the top of the mountain for me in terms of, um, just try, trying to cover John Lennon's voice. First of all, is just crazy, right? It's it's I shouldn't be doing it in a lot of ways, but I'm doing it because I love it, and I'm I'm hopefully I'm doing it from a, a from that. I'm doing it from my heart sort of thing. So even if I'm not, even if I'm getting 70% to where I want to be when it comes to covering the Lennon stuff, I'm happy with that, right? So uh, as a fan covering this stuff and going through and knowing all these themes, like you said, going through the ups and downs of the album, the, 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 the steep schizophrenia that happens between songs, the, uh, 
like I said, I uh, playing a song that as beautiful as Julia. And it's funny, Julia. Like, like people will rip on Julia. People that I, I know a cello player that did not like Julia because it's if you think about it, it's just it's one note. It's a one note melody, right? And it's so it, it's so for someone who's a cello player who's very much like plays music on one string and is all about you know a, the song and the melody. It's it's just that one note that keeps going. So it's just like. Mm-hmm. It's just one note, right? So she was like, "That was her, one of her least favorite songs." And I was blown away. At first, I didn't say anything. I was just, I was just blown away. I took it in, <laughs> explained herself. Okay, wow. Okay, that's great. Okay, and and it wasn't that she wasn't a Beatles fan. She was a big Beatles fan, but that because she was all about melody. I think it, there was no melody in that song, and I, I thought about that. But then you look at the shapes of the chords, right? And the picking pattern so beautiful, right? And it's really a simple little part here, but then he goes, so it's like, Half of what I say is meaningless. Which is very similar to uh, Strawberry Fields. So another song that has those chords of Strawberry Fields, both about his childhood, because he's talking about his mother and he's talking about Strawberry Fields and the other song. But anyway, those I don't know why those chords... Uh, for, uh, for him brought up this childhood stuff or they somehow correlated with with it in his mind to these themes but anyways long story short these chords are incredible right so the semitone thing it's not like the melody stays very horizontal that's the biggest jump in the song probably and then it goes to this crazy bridge very McCartney-ish kind of bridge, you know? He starts to float up and down with his melody a bit more on the bridge, talking about the flowing hair and stuff, which is very evocative, I think, anyways. But um, those chords are just incredible to me as a guitar player, but as a, like, I could see someone uh, as who's strictly, not strictly concerned with melody, but, you know, foremost concerned with melody, not being so excited about that song. But uh, like I said, like I could defend each of these songs on certain bases, you know what I mean? Like just on the guitar playing alone, the chords, the the, the movements, uh, the themes that come up from others of other older songs of his, you know. Half of what I say is meaningless, but I say it just to reach you, Julia. Shimmering 
you take that apart that's a guitar player's ear pulling in like pulling those layers out and like you're, you're getting it like oh and then this happens and this happens and that's yeah. those are the things I love hearing people talk about and you're not the first person I've heard say oh and so and so Beatles did this on this song and because I always like yeah. this little thing they did here and yeah. they, they just did that so often and it just comes from being from playing so long they, they yeah. just had their chops down Another thing is that Julia, song, a song about his mom. I had to end up playing that. My mom just died a few years ago, so that's 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 the biggest reason why I I had a bit of a, a, a hand started getting shaky and just like getting really emotional around that song in the middle of it, not not really connecting it. And well, I I always connected the idea of uh, the, you know the mother dying and stuff like that, but uh, just because my mom died recently, it was just like well, at least in the last couple of years, uh, that was such a potent emotional moment right straight to the heart sort of thing and i almost broke down and, and didn't do the rest of the song but i did it myself uh, and through it yeah Good. i i remember um, reading recently mandy tamkin when he was doing uh princess bride tapped into he his he had just lost his father and he had to deliver the line you've killed my father prepare to die and then he has the whole i'm never going to see him again and that was that was in the back, and that's he burst out crying in that scene because he was thinking of his dad, right? And that's what I often wonder as a, as the musician doing that, how much of you are you putting into that delivery of John? Well, I mean, I think people are, have been covering Bach and Mozart for 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 centuries. You know, I think you, de you de as if you're trying to interpret them. Um, you, you're trying to, for me at least, I'm trying to be. Because the recording exists, like Bach's Bach doesn't have any demo tapes around, or <laughs> you know, the nuances of those aren't really known, right? But with, but the nuances and the are, low end would have been terrible. <laughs> the low end would have been absolutely terrible. But go ahead, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, 
you know exactly what it, what the White Album sounds like, and millions of people know that. And so, uh, you know, for me, it was just about trying to be uh, as true to, as I could to the arrangements that that he did, uh, true to the even to like down to the breathing that he did between words for. Uh, not maybe not on that album as much, but across the universe, for instance, like there's no breathe, there's no moments to breathe in that song almost. So, so stuff like that where you kind of try to find those moments where he breathed between the words because there's just a constant uh, showering of words. Um, you know, I, I tried to I tried to get into the into those details as well. So I you know I definitely definitely tried, as they say. <laughs> it was fun. They're fun. It's like it's like video games because you get to it's it's like leveling up every time you do those songs. So I've been <laughs> buddy, my buddies uh, in Zeus and 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 Jessica, my wife, and my my buddy Stu. We like that back in the Golden Dogs, before every jam we would do the we would jam some Beatles songs. We would jam some Harry Nielsen or something. We we would we would jam some uh, maybe some Kinks after we got into the we got into the Kinks a bit later in 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 the. Uh, Chris Murphy from Sloan introduced me to uh, Village Green Preservation Society for the first time, and that 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 started the whole. That was on in the van for the Golden Dogs from then on, pretty much. Like not just that album, but I mean, uh, those those very British albums between '66 and '69, '70 for the King stuff. The, those were on in, in the van constantly. So, but uh, I don't know how I, I got off track there. Uh, is that is that where the you talked about those jam sessions of doing those songs? Was that where 1985 came in? Uh, sorry, yeah, yeah. Well, Carlin, uh, when when he was in the band, he was such a McCartney fan, solo McCartney fan too. And I was never that much of a solo McCartney fan at that point, really. I liked Lennon. <laughs> uh, I, I liked Lennon with the Beatles specifically. I didn't I, I didn't spend too much time with their solo albums that much. I, I did the Band on the Run, I did Ram, and I loved those, of course, uh, and I and the odd singles here and there. But then when it came to stuff like, um, uh, what would it be, uh, Back to the Egg, or uh, uh, even Wings at the Speed of Sound, um, uh, Venus and Mars, I wouldn't re—I didn't really spend time with those albums, right? I, I didn't—I didn't have fun with those albums as much. I got into them later because. Both him and Taylor, who was, who was the drummer in the Golden Dogs, were very much into the wings, uh, very much into that. And so we'd end up jamming with the 1985 all the time because it was such a groove. And then I, I always pictured myself doing like a Faces version of that song, or trying to at least do a Faces version of that song, which ends up not sounding like the Faces. But you know, but uh, you know, that was sort of what happened with that. And yeah, and, and that song, covering that song, definitely came out of you know jamming you see it in get back too. they do that in that movie too where they're just jamming old 50s songs yeah. and that's just that's kind of get you know get the joints sort of lubricated get the voice started you know you kind of do that as an exercise and then you get into the your own stuff which you know it's like your your heart and soul stuff after that <laughs> where are we hearing especially on the new album i guess we could say uh are we hearing okay. any of is it just yeah there's a beatles sound or is it like no that's specifically from the white album where and I'm not saying, like you said earlier, it's like I didn't, I don't just specifically go in and pull this out and put it on my song. It may be something you hear later, like, oh, wow, that's so reminiscent of Julia or Long, Long, Long or something, right? Yeah, like, like I said before, it's, it's roundabout. It's all, all roads lead to, to the White Album kind of a vibe. It's, 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 
it's via it's via maybe some Ziggy Stardust, via some uh, Harry Nielsen, uh, via some. Uh, for instance, there's a song on the album that I, I released as, as before the album called Martha, uh, Stay Over Martha, and and that picking pattern for me uh, was was a, a kind of a challenge as well. And I and it, on the record, I, I sort of doubled it, right? And so so the the inspiration that is kind of secondary the fact that he was spending time with this dear prudence picking pattern which then led to three songs and then which also led to in, in inspiring people like nick drake and uh elliot smith with the detuning so it's about more about that kind of stuff wow. That took a while and that was fun to double to so to try to get that part right and then double it on either side of the uh like left and right with the headphones that um, that was my sort of uh little project i guess and so that it's so that maybe correlates to the julia story where he's just spending time doing this one thing over and over until he gets it right and all that kind of stuff so but in terms of getting a direct reference off the white album it's really those two chords the c to g minor change that i stole um uh, and yeah, and other than that, uh, you'll hear references more, you'll hear clearer references to stuff like uh, Space Oddity. There's a song on my album that Stu sent me this melody, which was... Come 
so anyway, that's called Howl because of the howl of that. Like a, like a dog sort of thing. <laughs> and uh, so that turned into that. And so I guess you'll hear a reference like that. That's kind of, you know, it's kind of borderline. Like, you can, did you just take space oddity there? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Just a touch. Sorry. <laughs> it's a great song and I love it so much. But but it, it, it came via an organic thing where I just heard these chords under that melody that Stu sent me. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, but you mentioned like Space Odyssey, which is, which is an experiment, you know, experimental type playing with sounds and things like it, that. What do you think of the more crazier, like something like Revolution Number Nine? Like, okay, what that? I mean, uh, <laughs> I was going to bring this up when you said you can defend any song. I was like, that's, shall I pull out Revolution <laughs> Number Nine? <laughs> Please do. To me, yeah. again, to me, I'm like, okay, we we mentioned heavy metal, we mentioned uh prog and stuff here's where the craft work comes in the avant-garde yet here's yeah, here's where the, the avant-garde here's yet. yeah avant-garde and here's where craft work comes in too right like stuff <laughs> like this i i can see where they just latch on to that and go now what if we get some crazy like electronic keyboards and play some loop tapes and and go with that so your thoughts yeah. well that's that is one of the most in, in terms of an album in terms of an of an album experience, having a song like like Revolution Number no. Nine is absolutely essential. You're only supposed to hear it once, technically. I think. I think it was. It's. 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 It's one of these. It's. It's definitely Yoko inspired. First of all. Oh yeah. It's definitely <laughs> in part in part piece, and the idea is to bring the sound of revolution uh, in into your living room. So you, you know, it's like and and keep in mind this is '68 where Vietnam's all over the television, right? Um, for the first time, the atrocities are actually coming into the living rooms of, of every American in, in the West, basically. We're seeing all, all this stuff happen. Uh, and it's different than hearing about it on the radio in the 40s and in, in that war, Korea. You actually see it. And then people are very visual. It's like I, in, in terms of music, even, I think people are listed. People watch music more than they listen to it in some cases. They're not really concerned with this, that and the other. They're, they're seeing the four mop tops or Elvis Presley shaking his hips. They're seeing Sinatra with the cool hat, and then they're sort of hearing the song, and then the song is seeping into them. I think a lot of, not a lot, not everybody, of course, of course, but I'm saying that the majority of people, the things that get really big, have such a visual element that it's unmistakably, it, 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 it adds to the whole experience of, you know, that artist, right? Um, okay, but getting back to revolution number nine, um, it's an. I think if to take it off would be a huge mistake. Obviously, I would. I, I would hate to have a white album without it. To be honest, because it's such, and like who's ever done it? First of all, in terms of the pop music exposing it, this is show. He's there's st again. They're stealing this directly from Schopenhauer. Uh, there's 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 uh, uh, all the names are escaping me because I'm not really into that kind of stuff. But I do I do appreciate it. But um, Philip Glass maybe no. Uh, what am I thinking? The um, John Cage. Thank you, John Cage. Yeah. Right, and he was definitely aware of that, and Yoko was very aware because 
That's how mm-hmm. they, Yoko was collecting uh, lyrics from the Beatles back when she didn't know the Beatles, quote unquote. She went to the Beatles and asked for a manuscript for John Cage's birthday. So she was very aware of John Cage and what he was doing and, and the whole New York art scene. And all that you know, is, comes into the album and makes a crazier album. It finishes, it's the finishing touch. It's like the Tomorrow Never Knows of this album, you know? It's that it's the day in the life in a lot of ways, whatever it is, but it's it's in in its own way, because to 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 how do you finish such an epic album? You do a song, maybe Hey Jude would have ended the album with that epic seven minute long thing, right? You could kind of see Hey Jude sort of being epic enough to end an album like this, but uh, for me, Revolution Nine, I defended on on the fact that it's 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 never been done. It's nine minutes of madness. It's it's the sound of revolution in your in your living room. Um, 19, it takes 1968 and, and boils it down to those nine minutes, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, so, yeah, capturing of chaotic time in 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 a, in in sound, perfectly. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, how I would defend it. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Of course, you're you're allowed not to like it. Like I said, it's a, <laughs> almost, it's a divisive song, right? It's a divisive song. Like, I mean, that's what they're absolutely going for, right? Yeah, great art does that sometimes, right? It's well, and like, again, like you, you talked about Yoko Ono's influence. I mean, she's also coming from uh, an auto-destructive art background too, right? Where it was about destroying things, right? Like, um, I, I remember reading that when Pete Townsend met Yoko Ono, they, they chatted forever because they were both, they both loved auto-destructive art. So they both had that, that idea of just being able to destroy something. And this to me, when I'm listening to revolution number nine, there's a sense of the joy, the life goes on of this album, all of a sudden comes to this crashing destructive end with revolution nine, right? Which is, you know, you almost forget the beauty of, you know, that, that final guitar piece and, and dear prudence and uh, everything else. When, when revolution nine comes on, it almost destroys the rec- rest of the record in many ways. Right. So that's the one everyone talks about. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just, it scares you out of the album and then good night sort of kind of says goodbye sort of thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they needed something like something Disney like that just to kind of a little spoonful of honey to, to get the rest of the album yeah, down. That's right. <laughs> you know. Perfect. Uh, how, how was it to do Revolution 9 live? Well, for the first time, um, the Classic Albums Live did it to 2 o'clock, so everybody had a their, their clock set on stage so they can see what point they're at. So I would have the lines like, uh, El Dorado, the twist, the walk, see, at 7 point, you know, 7 and seven minutes and 23 seconds i would say those words and otherwise it was mumbling there was some samples going on there was the other guy saying major lines from the thing um and it worked out actually really well i i think uh, jessica saw it and she is obviously a huge beatles fan and when she heard that we were going to do it live she was kind of like oh that's lame you can't do that <laughs> right and then she saw it and she was really impressed so cool. uh, I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll take that for what it's worth. That uh, you know, I and, trust Jessica completely. So yeah. uh, there you go. It was it was a weird. It was weird to, to be up there mumbling, 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 and then the Watusi, that twist. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely fun. I mean, uh, I, I'm glad it went over okay because in rehearsal, I just remember thinking, "Oh, this is this is not going to work." <laughs> <laughs> 
but then, then the clocks uh, we did we did lined up the clocks correctly and it, it seemed to be okay but yeah nice it, it was touch and go yeah all right so final question yeah which of these uh hour and 30, 30 songs 30, 30 songs, songs hour and 33 minutes which one is your favorite I would have said uh, for the last I don't a couple decades I would have said happiness is a warm gun. Mm. Um, it was always my favorite, um, but then covering the, the album and thematically what Dear Prudence is about the childlike sort of innocence, uh, the uh, you know trying to to coax somebody out of a tent uh, the, with this beautiful melody and this beautiful uh, guitar part and. Uh, I think that wins for me. I think that's the that's the album winner for me. Um, I, I I I I would struggle to to to, to think of anyone else, uh, any other song on the album as being the best one. But uh, there's there's some contenders. I love playing Sexy Sadie so much. Sexy Sadie, what have you done? Built on these charts, really simple, but the song's built on that, and it's just like I, I don't think I realized that listening to it over the years until I played it. Um, and uh, so I fell in love with that song again, and uh, yeah, so I, I would say Dear Prudence for the reasons I was saying, just it that sort of uh, probably the last real hippie song that he wrote, the real sort of pure hippie song meditating in india with his hippie buddies kind of being into the fact that maybe we could save the world you know there's, there's this whole this whole of sort of um this positivity that runs through that song that i don't think ever came back after this album for sure and it was just it was definitely a product of being in that time you know what i mean um uh definitely a, a naive song maybe whatever whatever it might be but uh i say Probably one of my favorite songs he's ever written. I think, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's it, there is too. there is that you know I never noticed it, but there is that as a psychedelic. It it, it ha there is a little hypnotic part to this, but like when they're coming around, around, round, around, round. Like that is my favorite part of the song right there. It's and all meditation. That's it's it. Like the groove and staying there and just like and you could see him learning that song for hours probably. And he originally tuned it the entire guitar down because learn if you if you if you're a guitar player and you try to learn that part it becomes very difficult to play it when it's not tuned down because the tension on the strings right so i so he originally played in c and because he was learning this part it would be hard less hard on his fingers right so i just picture him doing that for hours on this like slack string guitar just like over and over trying to get this picking pattern and then i, I could i could kind of see like the melody sort of popping up as he's playing it over like an hour or two and then he's kind of chuffed that McCarty can't do it. You know, I think part of that, that 
I, I, I'm, I'm making this up to, um, in my own head, but I, I think there's a part of Lennon that's like, ah, I love that McCarty can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> that healthy competition they both had. Right. Yeah. Or unhealthy, depending on how you look at it. Healthy for sure. Healthy for sure, I think. We were just going to say thanks, man. Thanks for joining. This was great. This was absolutely amazing. Yeah, this was awesome. Uh, yeah, thanks, good to chat chat about this album i'm glad you could make it i hope you guys are going to post lots of pictures on friday i'm so bummed i can't be there but yeah i'm gonna get some film hopefully and, and yeah ways to film it and i'm really proud of this album it's it's to me it's my favorite it's the best stuff i've done to, to, to me personally so i'm really glad that at least i have you guys to talk about it and spread spread the word a bit about it because um i put a lot of love into this one i can't wait to record the next album i got a bunch of ideas I can't, but I, I got to give this album its due and I got to focus on getting this show right because I, I want to at least do this one show right. It's a small club and uh, it's, you know, six piece band. We're going to try to capture all the details from the album as much as possible. Um, so I'm so excited about that. And is there uh, other live dates potentially in the future? Only if it makes sense. It's, uh, it, it's right now, I, I only have this one show in mind. I'm, it's, I, I focus better if I'm just thinking about one thing at a time. I'm, right. you know, yeah, and I and I think I'm just putting everything into this one little basket for Friday night, the show coming up, and uh, I have all the parts for everybody, all the musicians in my head, and I just you know it's like they're they, they all they're all learning them beautifully and bringing their own sauce to the to the stew sort of thing, uh, but yeah, and and so I'm just so excited about that. I can't even think beyond Friday at this point. <laughs> well, tell Jessica we said hi and good luck this week, man. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate all this time. Thank you. I told you about strawberry fields. You know the place where nothing is real. Well, here's another place you can go. Okay, Dave, so I am prepared. I'm prepared for today 
that by the end of today, um, you well, you will be everyone's favorite co-host of uh, <laughs> of the sound effect. There'll be shirts made that say "Dave is right, Tom is wrong." I'd buy that shirt, uh, but I'm, I know you would. I am. Uh, I'd buy that shirt, but uh, I would. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm gonna try and advocate for myself here, uh, and I'm, I'm gonna first off start by using the words of George Martin himself. I really didn't think a lot of the songs were worthy of release. I said, I don't want a double album. I think you ought to cut out some of these and concentrate on really good ones and have yourself a really super album. George Martin, as usual, was right. I really think this album is amazing at parts. But I also think it is too much. It is too all over the place. And as much as I think it's a genius album at points, I also think it's weighed down with... I don't know if it's ego, but I think it's weighed down with a lot of stuff that get in the way of what could have been a really super album. You're wrong. That's (laughs) That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Thousands would agree. Uh, thousands would agree. I just think there's a lot of, of places on this record that there is... Um, fluff's not the right word, because I get what they're trying to do, but I just think there's some parts on this record where it's like, why are you doing that? Like, why are you... Um, you know, the example I gave during the interview of, um, of why don't we do it in the road as... as you know, and don't get me wrong, that was one of my favorite Beatles songs growing up. But when you do listen to it, I, I think objectively, you kind of see this is a part of a song. It's not a full song. Um, and that, to me, is one of the frustrating things about this record, is I think there's a lot of great great moments on this record. Um, and there's, of course, some amazing songs. Let me get that out of the way first. I mean, Dear Prudence is one of my absolute favorite Beatles songs. Uh, but, I mean, I don't think um, I don't think Wild Honey Pie is should be there. I think, it, I think there's a lot of songs that any... I think if you've been any other band but maybe the Beatles and maybe at the time the Beach Boys, um, you'd be leaving on the cutting room floor. And I think most people would be happy with that decision. Now, of course, people will argue that it's not the White Album and it doesn't have all of these songs. But And, and I accept that. But I think we've put it on a pedestal and we're willing to ignore some parts of this record that I think I wish were fleshed out more. <clears throat> so why do the Beatles get away with it? <laughs> when an album hits like an hour or whatever, you know me, I'm like, oh no, 45 minutes and that's that. I don't know what it is about this album at an hour and a half. And maybe it's, I don't know if I've ever listened to the whole thing all the way through at once. Maybe one volume, like they have them on the, in the streaming services, they have it at volume one, volume two. You know, you listen for 45 minutes and then you put on the other one a little later or another day and or you f- skip songs. That's that's the the thing about this album it's it's just there's always something to come back to and you're always going to hear something different and i don't think with that it is the album even though wild honey pie is is a little weird 
and it's this 52 seconds of just them being weird, it makes this album. And there is no, I don't think the album is, is the album without all these songs. You know, I, I'm, I'm not always listening to Piggy. I'm not listening to I, I'm So Tired All the Time. But there's just something about the whole package that I know Piggy. I know, uh, you know, I know Martha, my dear, and and all this. But it's it's just such a, I don't know. It, to me, yeah, they get away with, they break every rule that I, I hate, right? Like, it's an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. It's, right. there's a lot of songs and you could, yeah, I could make a pretty good white album if I took out this and this and this. There'd be a lot of arguments which album, which song you'd take out to make that perfect album. You know what I mean? And and I just, it's the Beatles and it's just them trying stuff that no one else has ever tried before. Or, and and figure and figuring it out where they are in this, you know, they've been told you are the biggest band in the world right now. And the two or three albums before this where they were just trying different things all seemed to work. Sergeant Peppers seemed to work, you know what I mean? Yeah. And at this mm-hmm. point, they're just like, like, what can we do to screw this up? So let's do this. Let's try this. <laughs> Holy crap, people love it. And Well, Magical it, Mystery Tour, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that yeah, I think people still look on back on that as still a pretty great album. Now it's it's right up there with everything else. Yeah, I just I, again, I, I I don't know if ego is the right word, but again, I think when you turn to a guy like George Martin and George Martin says to you, um, that some of the songs are you know are essentially not up to par. And then you, I, I mean, it, make no doubt. I mean, John Lennon has has a huge ego. I think a lot of that is a psychological cover up. I'm not going to psychoanalyze John Lennon here, but I think hmm. there's a lot of like stuff that that he was dealing with throughout his his career uh, and throughout his writing. Um, but I mean, I, I think his ego, and I think John, I think Paul's ego too. I think they're all kind of fighting here to just throw anything at, at the music. And again, I think if you just taken the time to say, okay, maybe this, maybe, maybe Martin's right here. Maybe, maybe George is right here and there is something here I could drop or maybe John is right. And there's something I can drop. Maybe that would have skewed the album for me more to be a a more uh, cohesive piece and i just think it's it's missing here and like i said in the thing i think they're that cohesive that lack of cohesion also comes from the fact that they're all doing their own thing they're using george martin as an executive producer and in doing their own thing i mean like we said in the interview this is really the start of their solo careers in many ways right the sound of their solo careers starting to come through i mean i really hear it in 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 paul here where i think that the early sounds of wings are really starting to flesh themselves out here. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's sort of where I stand. I just, you know, and I, I, there's also something weird about this being the Beatles best album, but yet, I mean, 14 of the 30 songs are missing at least one of the Beatles. Right. 
so right. that that's a problem that's a problem too for me is in the fact that it really is almost like a combination of three solo records yeah. right and that to me that to me is a okay and again i think i don't know i i think we give a lot of credence to to great musicians and we give them that flexibility and say well because you've continuously done I, I you know my, i can't take that away from them I actually you know i'm gonna take that argument back because i can't take that away from them because like you said they have just done sergeant peppers yeah they take one step backwards maybe some would argue with magical mystery but they've you know they keep reaching for the stars and they keep hitting it so why wouldn't you say okay fine release a double album that you're all <laughs> that you're all producing separately and not talking to one another um i just think there's some of that cohesion that for me is missing a little bit. Don't get me wrong. Like I love the record. So I'm like picking on something that's probably, you know, <laughs> arguably the top five albums we've listened to in the last two years on this show. But, but this to me is just, that's the one thing against it for me is just, it lacks the cohesion of say, say rubber soul or, or, or revolver uh, or anything like that. Sure, when you want to compare um, it to the other albums, like their other Beatles albums, especially classic, and it's funny, while you were talking, I just flipped back to Sgt. Pepper, uh, Magical <laughs> Mystery, and there's like five classic album or five classic songs on that album that are cons- considered like, yeah, Beatles classics. So to say that when people say that was a flop at the time, it's like, it doesn't even matter, you know? And when talking about the white album, I'm just like, yeah, really? What can we, we joked about this, but like, what else can we say? And we're adding this little, yeah, maybe there's a little cohesion. There's a song we would drop, but it, it at the end of the day, it's the white album. Yeah. Nothing, exactly. nothing exactly. we can say is going to shine any light on it. Uh, so I hear your points and I, I hear how you want to, you just like to structure everything a little better. And you're, yeah. you're on George Martin's side about, yeah, we could have taken that out. That'd be an interesting conversation. Again, like I say, like, well, which song do we take out? Yeah, sure. You take out something like Wild Honey Pie. It didn't really add a lot, but it's. Can we unique. talk about Piggies? I mean, Piggies is, mm-hmm. a, is for me an easy, is an easy cut. Yeah. I just, you know, there's certain songs like that that I just think, come on. Like, like <laughs> there's certain songs where I'm just like, okay, like surely we could cut that. But then again, I can't. This also the album to to me also feels like like a really passive aggressive argument where it's like, oh fine, fine, you keep Obladi Oblada on the on the record then, like you know, <laughs> like. <laughs> You know, but if you get Obladi Oblada, I get I get, uh, yeah, I get piggies. <laughs> like, like, like it just there's a bit of me that thinks, what must the conversation had been like between the three of them trying to to line up this record? But that's and that's just it. It's just a fascinating time. We talked about it in the mm-hmm. chat with Dave. How this is like the tipping point for so many. Yeah not just musicians and bands, but genres. You know, we talked about yeah, agreed, how agreed. things got a little heavier. You know, it, you can pull metal from here. You can pull prog rock from here. You can continue mm-hmm. down the pop side of things with their with their incredible pop sensibilities in their writing. 
and it's just key. It, there's just so much. All roads lead back to the White Album, really. Yeah, it's a, so, yeah, it is a great argument. You know, I just, sure. I, I, you know, after talking to Dave and and, and hearing, I, I just don't feel comfortable saying. I can't take anything away. Sure, there's songs I don't listen to, but it's still the White Album. Mm-hmm. Know, going mm-hmm. on, you know, what is this? Sixty years, so yeah, uh, it's it, it is it is what it is. That's that's what they did. I'm sure everybody, five, six, ten years down the road, like George Martin was still going. What? How did that happen? Because yeah. and and because mm-hmm. everything they did was just rewriting stuff, writing the rules as they were going along, and mm-hmm. how can we screw this up? Let's try this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. It, at the end of the day, it is what it is. It is the White Album, and it's it is a masterpiece. I think. I'm just gonna go out and say it. It is a masterpiece. That was it. That was that was my take. And I feel bad that you're like you're putting together these these perfect points and everything. But all and all I got is it's it's the White Album, man. will say i really appreciated uh dave's argument for revolution nine which uh yeah um which i've always had issues with i thought the way he framed that made me go okay that's actually a really good point i kind of like that um doesn't mean i still like the song uh, anymore or any less but i i thought that was a good argument for it what's your favorite song on the record uh which i know is hard to pick on such a massive record if you if you (laughs) for some reason uh and like like i said 
I'm not going to say Revolution 9 is my favorite song, but it's the it's one of my earliest memories of listening to this album. We were I was out with a friend, we were at his his cousin's place and we were just he was the guy with all the vinyl and was so through on the white album, we were going through it and it, it's funny cuz when we were listening to Dave talk, I had flashbacks of talking to this guy about the white album. If you had asked me before Dave picked this and we started listening to it again, I would have said probably Happiness is a Warm Gun or Glass Onion is so good. Like just everything in that, the drum, the sound, the production, I think is so cool. And it's a quick to the point, as most of these songs are, just quick to the point. Um, I'm going to say well, probably one of the overrated. And here's here's where you might get a little uh, love and I might get a little hate on this. I, f- I feel like While My Guitar Gently Weeps is one of the most overrated songs in their repertoire. Wrong. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe it helps and not to speak ill of the dead or anything, but I hated Jeff Healy's version of that, and it always <laughs> gets played on rock radio for right. whatever reason. So, so there's those things, but, uh, yeah, uh, on these, on this latest barrage of listening to the album, I'm going to say my favorite track, everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey. Ah, interesting choice. Okay. So, um, yeah. So growing up, I kind of went through phases of my favorite songs off this record that, you know, even growing up, I didn't know were on this record, but, you know, I started with, um, um the uh with let's do it in the road that was one of my favorites when i was younger uh but of course i as a you know late teens early 20s i got into helter skelter phase where that was like god yeah this song kicks um i always i always loved while my guitar legitimately weeps and i love julia um and i also really went through a phase where i I thought blackbird was just just a Mm, piece of yeah stunning <laughs> yeah. musicianship blackbird is so good um but you're not alone too my, like a lot so many times i've read over the years artists just cite that blackbird oh. and it's just i guess it's the picking the guitar picking that just people dig and and the sentiment of the song too it's just it's just perfect but yes so many people keep going well, keep going back to blackbird and i'm like really blackbird it's a nice song you know what it's it for me and i you and i've had this chat before i i am not if you're going favorite beatles i'm not a lennon fan right and my reason i'm not a lennon fan is because of him like i like paul mccartney i like the fact that paul mccartney was the workhorse paul mccartney's the guy who kept the band together Hmm. paul mccartney's um you know, every story I hear about John Lennon, I just want to punch him in his mouth. Like mm-hmm. when I hear about how he treats people and how, you know, he would like, you know, a slow clap to people he met and treat them like garbage. I'm just, I was like, ah, oh. you know, and he's a walking hypocrisy to me. Like, you know, there's that image that floats around on the internet of, you know, him and Yoko Ono standing beside the bed as the maid at the hotel is changing their sheets. And it's like, you know, when you're a, when you're a communist and yet you still have people helping you do your work or, you know, something like the ballad of John and Yoko where, you know, he throws a tantrum because they forgot their passports and heaven forbid the British 
don't let them on a plane. Like I just, I come up, he just constantly comes across to me as a guy I wouldn't have liked. And you know, as well as I do, you and I have had this conversation before that when I don't like someone, I have a real problem listening to their music. Whereas I find Paul to be a genuine guy who is just like, fuck, I'm just trying to hold this band together yeah. for God's sake. Yeah. And, um, and he's usually my go-to for songs. Uh, but dear prudence, is just a masterpiece like it's such just a beautiful chord structure uh the way that guitar changes at the end yep. of the song and goes up that octave oh it's just it's just an absolutely mesmerizing song to me um his playing on that is is beautiful the production prudence is- yeah the production on that uh too like it's almost head and shoulders above a lot of the other songs because they put in a lot yeah. they, i feel mm-hmm. they put a lot into that and you're coming off back in the USSR, so you're that opening track. Like the first two tracks on this are great, great two, a uh, one-two punch on a Beatles album. You know, that's mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. really good. If you're if you're a Beatles fan at this point, you're feeling pretty good about things. Yeah, <laughs> for think, sure. You know, on your first listen. So, uh, but for Dear Prudence, yeah, they just the layering, the vocal backings, the the playing, the production, it's all up a notch. And uh, I'm not going to say things fall apart after that because you got glass onion, but it's just I feel they threw a little more into Dear Prudence. So yeah, yeah, good on you. Yeah, it's, it's good, beautiful song, beautiful song.
to Wadi for letting us use his song In My Heart as our theme song and thanks to the great Dave Azzolini from the Golden Dogs for joining us this week to chat about the Beatles and the White Album and most importantly thanks to you for listening to the sound effect please stay listening even though you probably think I'm a moron now if you enjoyed today's show please share it on your social media and say listen to this guy he's a moron and let us know what you think of our show and remember there's always a great record out there just wait to be discovered or in this case rediscovered so keep listening i don't think there are more <laughs> thank you wadi on the track New York Times Nick Cohen considers this album boring beyond belief well, and said that said that half of its songs are profound mediocrities. <laughs> Who's he? Sorry. The build, uh, that was the New York Times. Robert Crisco, who was always like an amazing critic, said in 1971, uh, the album is their most consistent and probably their worst. <laughs> I like that kind of new idiom. <laughs> I love that. Um, um, awesome. Back when, back when there was no one else on the internet saying <clears throat> trolly things. That's right. That's either. right. Yeah. That's that was early troll. That was pre-internet troll. trolling. Oh, that's reporters. That's what we pay for, right? <laughs> I know you have your issues with them, but I like I like many of them. All right. Just rock journalists. That's all. Quote unquote.